Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. This week's sermon addresses an issue that all of us have to deal with from time to time, forgiveness. Jesus taught us to pray for it in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others. But forgiveness is complicated and difficult. So let's turn to the Bible to see what Jesus has to say to his disciple Peter, who is struggling with forgiveness in his own life. I'll be reading from Matthew 18. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him, and he said he could not pay. So his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here ends the reading. What first occurs to me when I read this passage is that Jesus sets some pretty high standards for forgiving, and and God may offer up some severe consequences if we fail to comply. When Jesus says to Peter that we should forgive our neighbor not only seven times, but seventy-seven times, according to the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the King James Version says seventy-seven times seven, or four hundred and ninety times. Let's not quibble. When you're dealing with those kinds of numbers, your ability to forgive is essentially limitless. I've met people who can't not forgive. 
A woman I know, named Anne, once came to me for advice because her adult son was taking advantage of her financially. He kept coming to her for money to pay his rent and to buy food, but would inevitably spend the money on the opioids to which he was addicted. When he was homeless, Anne would provide him with a room in her basement, and sometimes he would steal from her or write checks in her name. Now keep in mind that Anne was in her 80s and her son was in his 50s, but each time she vowed it would be the last, and each time she would break down and forgive him. I just can't let him die on the streets, she told me. She never stopped forgiving him, and she kept giving him another chance and another chance until the day she died, almost penniless because of his abuse. Now, we tend to see relationships like this as codependent and abusive. When I talked to her, she would acknowledge that she was facilitating his drug use and ultimately harming him. But she would do anything to maintain her relationship with her son. But Jesus' advice to Peter does not provide her with an answer other than keep on forgiving. Nor did I feel that I was able to give her any adequate advice. I may have done the same thing. Reading this passage got me to thinking. Forgiveness can mean a lot of different things. There's been a lot of talk lately about forgiving college debts. In this case, it means to make something like it never ever happened. We'll just pretend that you didn't borrow this money. This has obviously been a popular policy among former students who have racked up almost insurmountable sums in student loans. Among those who have never taken out student loans and those who have paid them off, all this is understandably less popular. Although student debt forgiveness is different from what Jesus is talking about, there are similarities and it's just as complicated. Maybe we shouldn't think about forgiveness, but as forgiveness is. Now, just so you know, even though my spell checker highlighted forgivenesses as I was writing this as a misspelling, I looked it up and forgivenesses is a real word, the plural of forgiveness. Well, I devised a list of three forgiveness or modes of forgiving that may be helpful for us when we get into predicaments concerning when and how to forgive. When it comes right down to it, forgiveness is about repairing relationships, or not. When someone does something to hurt us, our relationship with them is threatened or severed. If a friend of mine sped, spreads a nasty rumor, nasty rumor about me, I question whether or not that person is really my friend or if I want to continue that friendship. The question arises, rises, should I and can I forgive the offense? Similarly, when we do something to offend God, that is when we sin, that's what we call it, our relationship with God risks being interrupted. God's forgiveness is central to the Christian faith. 
There are countless examples throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where God chooses to forgive our sinfulness so that we can stay in relationship. And God's ability to forgive is unlimited, far more than 70 times 7 even. Not only is divine forgiveness unlimited in its breadth, it's also unlimited in its depth. Think of Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. It takes great depth of forgiving, a great spirit of forgiving, to seek pardon for the same people who are hanging you from a cross and torturing you to death. Well, my first forgiveness, I will call divine forgiveness. Divine forgiveness reminds me of the slogan of ServPro, the company that cleans up after fires and other natural disasters, like it never even happened. Although I call it divine forgiveness, we mortals are sometimes capable of forgiving like that, especially toward the people we love. We sometimes truly can forgive and forget, maybe not immediately, but eventually things go back just the way they were. For most of us, though, divine forgiveness is simply aspirational, something that we work toward but aren't often able to achieve. And that's why the second forgiveness is important. The second forgiveness I call contingent or partial forgiveness. In contingent forgiveness, we take a kind of wait-and-see attitude. We offer forgiveness because we value our relationship with the person who has hurt us and choose to stay in it. Some resentment remains, and we're always on the lookout to make sure that sin against us is not repeated. Trust has been violated, and you need to prove to me that you deserve my forgiveness. This falls short of the model of the grace of God in divine forgiveness. But it's often a realistic way that we continue to live together and love one another, flawed as we are. The third forgiveness I call severance forgiveness. In severance forgiveness, we say the words, I forgive you, and we mean them, but we choose to end the relationship because it's toxic or even dangerous. Or sometimes we just can't continue in the relationship because the hurt was too great, too deep. We simply release the offender from their guilt. Why even forgive then? When we forgive and terminate a relationship, the goal is to move on with our lives. We do not carry the burden of resentment around like loads of bricks, or in biblical terms, like a millstone around our neck. Another way of looking at it is that this forgiveness allows us to escape the wrath of God like the unforgiving slave in our Bible story. Yes, forgiveness is a complicated thing. Forgiveness is a difficult thing. Forgiveness can be even be an impossible thing. But forgiveness is a beautiful thing. And in the end, forgiveness is a mystery.
One of the most beautiful scenes in the Broadway play Hamilton is one of forgiveness. The famous founding father, Alexander Hamilton, is at the height of his political career. He was George Washington's right-hand man in the American Revolution, author of the important Federalist Papers, many of them, and the person who designed and built America's financial system. He was in a good position to become president. Despite all of this, he was not satisfied. He cheats on his wife and confesses his adultery in public. His wife, Eliza, is humiliated. And things go from bad to worse. The Hamilton son is killed in a duel defending his father's honor. This unfaithfulness and family tragedy tears the marriage of Alexander and Eliza in two. How could they ever be a couple again? Not long after their son's death, however, the two are seen walking the streets of New York together. Their reconciliation is portrayed in this song in the play. It goes, There are moments that the words don't reach. There is a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. They are standing in the garden. Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. It's quiet uptown. Forgiveness. Can you imagine forgiveness? Can you imagine? If you see him in the street, walking by her side, talking by her side, have pity. They are going through the unimaginable. Forgiveness may seem impossible to the casual observer, but there it is. Unimaginable circumstances sometimes lead to an unimaginable capacity to forgive. I've wondered, since I have seen Hamilton, to which of the forgivenesses saved Eliza's marriage with Alexander. Was it total divine forgiveness? More likely than not, Eliza carried resentments and anger for the rest of her life and offered a form of contingent or partial forgiveness. None of us can know. All we know is that she did not sever her relationship since the two remained married until he too was killed in a duel defending his own honor. When we are wrong, and we all are at one time or another, it is best to set aside the question of how many times we're required to forgive, like Peter asked. What is more important is to probe the situation and ask what kind of forgiveness we are capable of offering. My guess is that seldom we'll be, be able to offer absolute divine forgiveness. And hopefully we don't often need to sever our relationship, but we'll be able to move on in that nether world of contingent partial forgiveness, living with our nagging resentments and memories in an imperfect world. And yes, knowing human nature, we will be called upon to forgive 70 times 7 and more. 
But the three forgivenesses give us options when we are called upon to forgive. And then we can engage in the process of forgiving. Psychologist Robert Enright delineates four steps in the forgiveness process. Number one, uncover your anger by exploring how you've avoided or addressed the emotion. Often we are angry without being consciously aware of it. Number two is to make the decision to forgive. Yes, forgiveness is a choice. You are in control. Number three, cultivate forgiveness by developing compassion for the offender. Reflect on whether the act was due to malicious intent or circumstances in the offender's life. Think of the times that you've had to seek forgiveness. And finally, release the harmful emotions and reflect on how you may have grown from the experience and the act of forgiveness itself. Don't let grudges and resentments ruin your life. Admittedly, this will require spiritual practice and patient prayer. It's always helpful for us to frequently pray the Lord's Prayer. Each time we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are challenged to remember how God freely chooses to forgive us and how we do or do not choose to forgive others. Pray it 77 times. No, pray it 70 times, seven times. You will need an unlimited reservoir of forgiveness in your life. Cultivating our ability to forgive is a matter of enlightened self-interest, though. Not only are we helping someone else get on with their life, releasing them from their guilt, but we are also helping ourselves. Each time we forgive, we release destructive anger and resentment and make ourselves healthier emotionally and physically. When we forgive, we are preserving important relationships and often making them stronger in the long run. And we're also serving as a positive example for those around us in an increasingly angry and unforgiving world. And then we can forgive ourselves when we do have to exit a relationship. But finally, we are living according to the will of God. Going back to our Bible lesson, I've always had one question about the slave owner who forgave the debt of his slave. When he found out that his slave was not merciful, he had him thrown into prison to be tortured until he paid back his debt, which, of course, he would never be able to do. Shouldn't he have forgiven him again? I think this is an imperfect parable if we're using it to describe God's forgiveness. God is like my friend Anne, who could never quite bring herself to cut herself off from her son. God will never cut us off. God has proven boundless capacity to forgive. And he first gave, as he first forgave us, so also should we forgive our neighbor. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. 
May God's face shine upon you. May God look upon you with forgiveness and give you peace.